Introduction. This is the first in a set of homilies from what is called the First Book of Homilies. This book was written mostly by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, who is the architect of the Reformation in England, eventually suffering martyrdom under Queen Mary. It represents both the expansion of the doctrine found in the 39 Articles of the English Reformation, a confessional document stating what the Church of England believes in opposition to the Roman Catholic Church and certain heretical Protestant groups, and its popularizing to the laity. These homilies represent something which is solidly reformed, for many of the homilies made no secret of its opposition to Rome, and is richly Catholic, abounding in quotes from the early church fathers, using Rome's claims that they were, quote, Catholic against them, by showing that it is, in fact, Rome which protested against the Catholic tradition of the church, and the Church of England was the one who preserved it. The first homily is a fruitful exhortation to the reading and knowledge of Holy Scripture. It is no accident that the first homily in this series by Archbishop Cranmer is about Scripture, for in theology, Scripture is the principium cognoscendi externum, the external principle of knowing that only way by which sinful men can rightly know about true religion, and secondly, because Scripture was the formal cause of the Reformation, that standard by which the Reformation sought to conform itself to. The historical context for such a homily was a land which was recently freed from papal tyranny, which mere decades before had for the first time a Bible in its own language, the translator William Tyndale being burned at the stake for his work. Much of the laity had not yet heard the entirety of Scripture in their native tongue, and this task needed to be urged for the church to be reformed. For it is only by the study and application of the word of God that a church is purified, which is what Archbishop Cranmer did with the Book of Common Prayer, having a constant cycle of readings and prayers for the laity, not only on Sunday, but through the daily office, morning and evening in every church. This is a homily which speaks far beyond its time to our generation which is under a new tyrant, the tyranny of laziness and busyness a generation in which no reverence is paid to the word of God, and none cares to know the living God as he is revealed in his word. Such foolishness Archbishop Cranmer rebukes and shows foolish by informing us of the excellency and usefulness of this holy book, which in our day much of the laity neglects to read, and the clergy refuses to preach. Lord have mercy. A Fruitful Exhortation to the Reading and Knowledge of Holy Scripture for a Christian, there is nothing more necessary or beneficial than to have a knowledge of the Holy Scripture, since in it is God's true word. It sets forth his glory, and to know it is man's duty. And there is no truth nor doctrine necessary for our justification and everlasting sanctification, except those doctrines which are drawn from this fountain and well of truth. Therefore, those who desire to enter into the way which leads to God must apply their minds to know Holy Scripture without which they cannot sufficiently know God or his will. Neither our duty unto him, and as cold waters refreshing to those who are thirsty, and a hot meal to those who are hungry, so is the reading, hearing, and studying of Holy Scripture to those who desire to know God and to do his will. And those who are drowned in worldly vanity loathe and abhor such heavenly knowledge, which is found in the word of God, because they neither favor God nor any godliness desiring worthless things rather than a true knowledge of God. It is as a man with an illness who finds even the most pleasant delicacies to be undesirable. For the man dead in his sin has his mind corrupted with the love of this world and is blinded to the sweetness which is found in God's word, tasting only bitterness. Part 1. The Exhortation to the Reading of Holy Scripture Let us then forsake the corrupt judgments of mere men who care only for themselves, 
and indeed reverently read the Holy Scriptures, which is the food of the soul. Let us diligently drink of this well of life which is found in the Old and New Testaments, not the stagnant puddles of the traditions of men. For fully contained in the Holy Scriptures is what we ought to do, avoid, believe, love, and what we ought to seek from the hand of God in prayer. In these books we find the Father from whom, the Son by whom, and the Holy Spirit in whom all things are held together, and that these three persons are but one God. In these books we learn of God, how good He is of Himself, and how He makes us and all creatures partakers of His infinite goodness. Not only about God, but we learn about ourselves, and how vile and miserable we are apart from that goodness. In God's word we may also learn to know God's will and pleasure, as far as He has revealed it. And, as St. John Christosom says, Whatever is revealed for salvation is fully contained in these writings. He that is ignorant may there learn wisdom. He who is hard-hearted and unrepentant will find their everlasting torment which strikes fear into his heart and thus softens it. He that is oppressed with misery in this world will find great consolation and comfort in the promises of everlasting life. He that is wounded by the devil unto death will find medicine there which will restore him again unto health. Scripture is sufficient to teach any spiritual truth, reprove any false doctrine, rebuke any vice, commend any virtue, to give good counsel, to comfort or exhort, and to do anything requisite for salvation. For all of these things, as St. John Christosom says, are plentifully contained in Scripture. For as Fulgentius says, there is abundantly enough for men to eat and children to feed. No matter age or class or education, the Holy Scripture is good for all. These books, therefore, ought to be at all times in our hands, in our eyes, in our ears, in our mouths, but most of all in our hearts. For the word of God is heavenly food for our souls. Hearing and keeping it makes us blessed, sanctifies us, and makes us holy. It transforms our souls. It is a lamp and light unto our feet. It is a sure, steadfast, and everlasting instrument of salvation. It gives wisdom to the humble and lowly hearts. It comforts, makes glad, cheers, and nourishes us. The Holy Scripture is a most excellent treasure than any gold or precious stone, sweeter than honey, and in it is eternal comfort. The words of Holy Scripture are called the words eternal life, because they are the instruments of God ordained for that purpose of granting eternal life. They have the power of conversion through God's promise. They are made effective through God's power, and, being received by a faithful heart, they have a heavenly power working in them. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing in the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Christ calls him a wise builder who builds upon his word, for it is a solid foundation. By this word we shall be judged, for Christ says, The word that I have spoken will judge in the last day. He that keeps the word of God is promised the love and favor of God, and that he shall be the dwelling place of the blessed Trinity. The one who diligently reads this word and stamps it upon his heart will have the transitory things of the world pass away to him, and the desire of heavenly things shall be strengthened within him. There is nothing that so greatly strengthens our faith and trust in God, which purifies and sanctifies our thoughts and makes right our actions and speech, than the continual reading and remembering of God's word. For when we continually read and diligently search the Holy Scripture, 
It becomes deeply printed and graven on our hearts and becomes natural to us. Moreover, the virtues and effects that God's word have are to illumine the ignorant and to those who diligently and faithfully read it to give light unto them, to comfort them in the promises of God and to encourage them to perform that which God has commanded. It teaches us patience in all adversity, humility and prosperity, the honor which is due unto God, and the mercy and love due to our neighbor. It gives us good counsel in doubtful situations. It shows us who we should look to for aid and help in all perils, and that God is the only giver of victory in all battles and temptations of our enemies, fleshly and spiritual. In the reading of God's word, it is not always he who is most ready to read and memorize it that profits the most, but he who is most inspired with the Holy Spirit, most changed in heart and life by that which he reads, daily his less proud, less wrathful, less covetous, and day by day less desirous of worldly and vain pleasures, forsaking his old life, he increases in virtue more and more. In short, there is nothing that better maintains the godliness of the mind and drives away ungodliness than does the continual reading and hearing of God's word, only if it is joined with a godly mind and affections, to know and follow God's will. For without pure intent and a good mind, nothing is allowed before the presence of God in blessing. Likewise, nothing more profanes Christ in the glory of God, nor brings in more blindness and vice than does the ignorance of God's word.